0: Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We are continuing our series of just random discussions, and I think I want to preface this one because we have a guest speaker today. Super excited about this. We are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So exciting, I know, but we've talked about this how many times over the last year and a half that we've been recording. I think it's critical to continue having these discussions, and it's interesting because there was a DEI conversation that came up yesterday with within some of the individuals on this call today. So I want to make sure that we capture this because if we don't continue talking about this, we're never going to have any change going on in this damn world, right? So let's talk a little bit about DEI. Michelle and I are here talking through this and we have a special guest with us, Joe, who is great in regards to DEI discussions. He has a very diverse thought to help our listeners and provide them some context. So for you, hopefully you get some great insights from Joe here today. He trains on de initiatives. He's passionate about it. He lives, eats, and breathes this each and every day. So Joe, welcome. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, thank you very much. So glad to be here. So I've kind of been in learning and development for the better part of the last two decades and fell into it kind of by accident. And most recently, an organization that I've been with has kind of specialized learning development a little bit and kind of has segmented which facilitator does what. And I have really kind of have a love for diversity, equity, inclusion, and a love for people and people equity. And so it was just a great fit for me. And I'm just realizing that I know a lot, but I'm also still learning a lot. There's never enough we can learn about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's really fun to be here in this conversation, and I'll look forward to seeing what I have to contribute.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because we are in the Great Resignation right now. And for the listeners listening in and tuning in that don't understand what Great Resignation is, it's literally a moment in time that's being captured that they have predicted during the month of September in 2021, where... Uh, different individuals are either going to job hop to different organizations or they're going to be headhunted for positions or you know what they're just going to up and resign their their positions from their organizations because they've had enough of what's transpired over the last year and a half and what's interesting is that with this great resignation people are applying to different organizations and they're seeing new things in the EENO section when they have the candidate experience and i've seen this myself as i'm researching other companies and what they're doing there are these new fields that are being captured and i would love for us to have some discussion about this because there's some debate whether the field should be there how it's captured in an organization and how it's being leveraged but just in general even in your day-to-day discussion i think it's critical to have these you know insights in regards to not just having a female and male and i do not wish to answer section when it comes to gender now there's a there's sexual preferences so they're asking you if you're heterosexual you're homosexual you're asexual whatever the case may be right there are all these new sections and joe You were extremely passionate about this yesterday when we were having discussions, and that's why I felt the need for us to have this series and this topic, because, Michelle, if you recall, you've had previous conversations about this. Like, it's not just, you know, one or the other, and it's not just a field of I don't wish to answer, right? And I think, Michelle, if you want to tell your story, and then Joe can kind of lead into that. But I think you mentioned yesterday that you were having a conversation with somebody else, And they were trying to explain to you that they're not bisexual, right? And they're pansexual. And what does this mean? So help us get this conversation kickstarted and kind of having tag teaming that so then Joe can pivot and really tell our listeners why this is a critical topic to be inclusive in the organization.
2: So before I jump into why that conversation started yesterday, here's some advice that I would give the rest of the world. So Joe used a phrase yesterday when we were talking and he said that basically I fit into, and he was not talking about me specifically, he was talking about a heterosexual female um, who is white. I sort of fit into that bucket that is the biggest part of the world, right? That the world has been sort of designed around I know as a woman that so for those of you that are females um, white females I understand that there's still discrimination against us that needs to change but in general the world is sort of built to make my life better I guess is, is a one way of looking at it or at least to not make my life difficult right so I want to start with something that even Uh, We talked about with Nikki Lerner, and it's something that I've done my entire life, thanks to my parents and their prodding, which is surround yourself by people who are different than you and build a relationship with them to a point where you can have tough questions or you can ask tough questions and not just immediately shut down during that conversation. And it's actually that fact and the fact that I know Joe so well is the reason that I felt super comfortable asking a question yesterday. And I said "So, someone I care about a lot, she was trying to discreetly announce her sexual preference to the family, and she was doing it by wearing you know, rainbows or um, love is love shirts, but she never came out and used the words. And We were on a trip and she looked at me and she said, I have some news. I'm pansexual. And I said, what does that mean? And so we went through the whole conversation and she tried to explain it. And I said, so basically, you're bisexual. She said, no, I'm pansexual. There's a difference. I'm like, no, there isn't. You're bisexual. You like men and women. And she goes, that's not what it means. And I was like, it does. Oh, my God, that's killing me.
1: And that's kind of where I fell into the conversation. Right. So one of the things we talked about that I kind of was trying to break down was that there is a difference between a label and someone's identity. Right. Labels are for jars, not for people. We know as a human race. We have to classify things by color, by style, by number, by height, by weight, right? We know that there are different classifications because those things matter, all right? But that's not the same thing as how someone self-identifies, right? And so a label may be what something's called or what the perception is, but the identity is who and what that person is. And so... I think one of the fundamentals of DEI inside work, outside of work, is that no one wants to be invisible. No one wants to be unnoticed. No one wants to be ignored. And most people are looking for representation, right? And so we know that in the world around us, there are things that are known as normal. And there are things that are kind of coloring outside the lines that people have not necessarily you know, accepted as normal yet. Okay. And so it's really important to recognize that people want to see representation of themselves somewhere in the media, on TV, in the news, in their family, in the workplace. Um, There's an EAP organization that I've heard of where they do LGBT support. And the head of that is actually a transgendered person, which is so smart, because no one knows better than that person how to support and represent that community of people. I think it's great. And I have worked for an organization that has a bunch of different support and affinity groups for different Types of people, veterans and different groups by ethnicity, and a cancer support and LGBT and friends. And it's really amazing to see that the conversation is no longer just a conversation, that in so many organizations, it's not just a check mark on a list anymore, or this is a legal compliance thing. Now we're starting to get into a space where people are starting to get in and ask the tough questions, and not even just ask the tough questions, but answer some of the tough questions.
2: And I think, Maria, to your point, about why do we keep having this conversation? I think it's because we we haven't had it before. And so even if you are someone who considers themselves open-minded or really just wants the world to be the world or humans to be humans, there are still, and we've talked about this a lot, there are still biases. Biases are built over years. They're built and reinforced And you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm not going to have bias. You can wake up one day and say, I'm not going to consciously act on my biases. But even that takes work because historically you have acted on your biases, whether it is you drive through a neighborhood that on TV would have been a dangerous neighborhood and you immediately look to make sure your doors are locked, right? Like we've been conditioned to respond based on these assumptions that we have placed on people and things and places, right? And so we've got to talk about it if we're ever going to step back and stop taking action on our biases, which is really what we need to do different.
1: I remember many years ago reading a leadership book um, and it's actually a spiritual leadership book that you can either read from the spiritual perspective or you can read it just from the leadership perspective called Jesus CEO. And in one of the one of the chapters there it talks about how nobody wins until we all win until everyone makes it across the finish line, right? That it's okay to be competitive. It's okay to be achievement oriented. But at the end of the day, no one wins until we all win. And I think that that's really important in the world around us right now, in the political and social climate we're in, in the religious climate we're in. No one wants to be unheard. No one wants to be invisible. No one wants to be ignored. You know, I'm different. There are things about me that fit within what are considered social norms and world norms. And there are probably things about me that don't fit within the norm. And so I think that DEI is important because it starts to redefine what normal is. But I tell you that so many people are just looking for representation and validation. I don't totally have to understand everything about pansexual or about a particular orientation or a particular identity. I just have to be open and accepting. And that's, you know, the best way for us to learn about DEI is just watch children. Children don't see... What we grown ups see. They don't look at the world through the same lens, right? They don't see, oh, well, my friend from school is white and my friend is black and this child is Asian, right? Little children don't necessarily notice a, a physical disability or handicap as much as a grown up person does. We have a lot to learn from children. And I think that those learning moments can really help govern and move organizations forward.
0: So, Joe, the comment came up yesterday of how many more different nomenclatures are we going to have for different type of situations? At one point, you know, some individuals going to want to be called dinosaurs. I mean, like, where is this going to evolve to? Where does it stop?
1: Yeah. And, you know, some of the conversation, even after the conversation among the original group, continued. And what I was sharing is, hey, you know... Evolution is evolution, and some of us will not be alive to see some of the evolution that's starting now, right? You know, I'm kind of in the beginning of middle age, and there are things that have started now that I may not live in my lifetime to see complete, and that's okay, right? Because I look at how women couldn't vote, and you know what? They had to raise heck and start a revolution to be able to vote. And should that have ever been an issue? No, but it was. And so someone had to do something about it. And it started with conversation and and people identifying who they were and what the need was. And the same with the civil rights movement, right? Should there have ever been a reason why African-American people were not treated equally in our country? No, but they had to raise heck. They had to start a revolution in order to get to a place where we're getting to today. And. Gay and lesbian people and don't ask, don't tell, and so many gay and lesbian and other orientation issues, right? Even looking at the gay rights movement and Stonewall in 1969, people had to throw some bricks and raise some heck and start a revolution to get the change, to get the visibility, to let people see their identity. And guess what? That's still happening today, right? I don't have, I don't believe I have the right to tell someone who and what they are.
0: True. And so then the question really lies, like, so companies, let's start with this, right? Companies are asking for your sexual, you know, preference as far as, like, if you're heterosexual, homosexual, whatever the case may be. And they're trying to capture that to identify their LGBTQ plus community in the organization. So then they can create some numbers and then they can, you know, give them information and resources on different groups and whatever is available. but one may ask who the F cares about if I'm a heterosexual, like I'm literally, they may look at that question and say, why are they asking me if I like to sleep with the opposite sex or the same sex? This is a bullshit question, right? And Mm -hmm. it may be like offensive or something like that, but the deeper right root is trying to identify how you really include them in your organization when they get in. So, I would love to hear your thoughts, Joe and Michelle, and on you know, that question that creates such controversy on a candidate application.
1: So the first part of that is that if an organization is going to ask those questions, they need to find out first of all if all these questions are legal or and ethical or not. And they are. And I think that's the first part of it. And and, and they are today, right? And the second part of that is. it's really reasonable to make some of those questions optional, right? And let people know that they can opt out of answering certain things. I can't say how many surveys I filled out for different things where they ask for my income or marital status, all sorts of different things that I say, okay, I prefer not to disclose that. And I think that's super, super valid. Rather than making it a checklist and a spreadsheet of how many people are this and how many people are that, I feel like if organizations are creating a support network and framework for people of different ethnicities or orientations, et cetera, and groups, faith-based groups, whatever, that is a much stronger way of being able to identify people than just a checklist on a box. And um, creating that safe space. You know, not only have I had a learning the development background, I've had a big church background over the last 30 years, doing a lot of youth and young adult stuff. And anytime a kid came to me with something different, whatever that difference was, I reminded them that I don't care what you are. I care who you are. And if we could start to look at employees, managers, applicants, candidates, trainees, that person sitting in my office, that person I'm interviewing on Zoom, in that lens that we don't care what they are, what those labels and identity things are, but I care who you are and I care what you're bringing to the table, I think we would be a lot further ahead.
0: So then pivoting over to the gender question, most most, I would say probably over 80 to 90% of organizations still have male, female, and I do not choose or select to answer this question. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's evolution. It would be nice in a perfect world, an ideal world where everything is perfect and everyone's identified. I just believe it's evolution. I just don't think it's if, I think it's when. There is going to be a time where just like women couldn't vote And we did have equal rights for different races, and we did not recognize LGBT and same-sex marriage and many other different things, just like there were handicapped people and people with different disabilities that were not recognized and didn't have opportunities. I believe that the world will continue to grow in this space. In a perfect world... We would know how to handle all sorts of people and know everything about, let's say, Michelle mentioned pansexual and what the difference is between pansexual and bisexual. We would know how to handle certain situations around race or faith or culture, but I just believe it's evolution. I think that for us to be successful in an HR training organization at this point, anything in regards to organizational development evenly, we just have to be open in the conversation be willing to listen. People want to be listened to
2: agree that it becomes the conversation. So speaking around gender in particular, I talk about my niece a lot on this podcast because she actively tries to make the world a better place through inclusion and accepting people. And I had a conversation with her once. And I remember she said, I don't understand your problem. Just say they. And I said, because they means multiple and I can't say they want to do it this way because that means multiple people. And she said, get the fuck over it and say they. Right. They identify as they say the word they. And I was like, sweet, they it is. Even though in my head I kept going, that's some proper grammar. But then, so now that I use the grammar excuse, I then stepped back and I had to realize that that was just my defense mechanism Uh to stay in a place that is comfortable for me, that I'm used to. And and not even just that they want to identify as something other than male or female, because at the end of the day, I'm like, whatever, if it floats your boat, do you, you do you. That's, it's one of my personal values. You do you and I'll do me, but it still pushed me to a place that was outside of, my normal. And so I literally just came up with really great excuses, at least I thought, to not say they or them or but it became that conversation. And you know what? It really was a 19 year old going say, she said, get the fuck over it. <laughs>
1: and you see they they and them was very natural for me. That when I understood and my brain connected with why it mattered saying they and them was very natural for me. And the other thing that was really kind of a a pivoting moment for me and how I thought about people was when, I learned that I could change in an email signature or on LinkedIn or in different elements of my life, that I could add he or him to the end of my email or my name, right? Not because it matters to me, because I don't wake up every day thinking about the fact that I'm a man or that I'm a male or how I self-identify, but because it matters to other people. To When they see that someone takes the time to consider the vernacular and conjugate verbs, right? And look at all of this, people start to know, okay, this is a person that cares about inclusion and people's identity, and this is a safe space. And if nothing else that I accomplish professionally or even personally, I want people to know I'm a safe space. You know, I think it's so critical in any topic, right? And I mean, you've covered a lot of topics in 70-something podcasts. It's so important that we are honest and admit that we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. If we act like we have all the answers, we've already failed, right? I think the smartest thing we can do for anyone who is, quote, unquote, different than us or not, quote, unquote, in a mainstream or, quote, unquote, normal group that's typically identified, it's okay to say, you know what, I don't have all the answers but you know what? Let's seek the answers together. Let's see if we can kind of join hand in hand and figure it out together because that is where the conversation continues. That's where the progress perpetuates. And that is how we're going to get Maria to that ideal that you were uh, talking about before, right? On that application or on that, you know, form to get promoted, right? Or on that person who wants to develop in a different way. You know, if we can only get to a place where we say, you know, I don't care what you are. I just care who you are. I think we're going to impact people both personally and professionally.
2: Yeah. So this is totally the HR coming in, coming out in me in regards to the questions on the thing. So first thing, like Joe said, make sure how you're phrasing stuff falls within a legally compliant perspective. But here's where as a consultant, I would challenge you every freaking day don't tell me you're doing it to provide resources for your employees so they feel included and may show up and you not have those resources.
1: Indeed. Yep. If
2: you If you don't, if you aren't offering specialized groups for different areas, if you're not using it to make sure that um, previously disregarded groups are getting promotional and development opportunities. So if you can't pull out the what you're doing with it, I need you to take it the fuck off your list because all you're doing is labeling people like bottles. You're not using it. Right.
1: To it, do something good it, with it, it, it becomes a label, not right. identity. Yeah, you know. And the last thing that I would challenge people to think about, anyone who is a listener today, is that I recently was co-facilitating something online in a virtual space with a DEI leader who is really, really good at what they do and very much has a heart for people. Um, whatever they're not, whatever they're not good at at work, they're really good at showing heart and care and passion. And we were going to have this open kind of forum conversation for leaders in that organization. And on average, we will see between 250 and 1,000 people, leaders that will take the time to show up. Right, And we wondered, A, what would the audience look like? And then we saw the numbers jumping and jumping and jumping. And we were in the 300 and something range. It was like, wow, they had their PowerPoint deck ready. It looked really great. There were some strong visuals, just a few keywords. So it wasn't too wordy. And what happened is that our session that was just supposed to be a great learning moment became a great teachable moment because the leaders that were running that really actually got to talk for about 15 to 17 minutes because the hands were being raised that people were typing in a chat and the leaders in the organization pretty much governed and led the conversation for the remaining 45 minutes. So I think the reason I bring this up is do our managers and our leaders care to have this conversation? They absolutely do. We just have to give them the safe space to have it. Those of us that want to talk about it because we are quote unquote different, but also all of the leaders who want to be a better, different version of themselves tomorrow and be a safe space, everybody really does want to have the conversations, just ripping off the band aid and creating the opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I would love to have you back, Joe, to talk through some of those specific details. But, you know, kind of, uh, there's so many things that have just kind of been spoken about. But over 60 percent of organizations are now asking for pronouns in the candidate application process on what what your preference pronouns are, which I think is fantastic. Even if they don't um, have the gender options, they are at least trying to figure out how to initially address you in communications, whether it's a welcome, you know, welcome interview or throughout the interview process. So I think that's interesting. What I want to double click into now is as Governments are now addressing some of those pieces in regards to gender identification. There have been some extreme controversy pieces that not only affect the workplace, but it affects just every day. Right. So I'll bring one up just to stir up some conversation in the state of California. And some other states, they have allowed you to select your preference on a restroom based on how you identify. And that has created turmoil for people across the country here in the United States. So you see a female looking individual in a male restroom, and Uh people are spurring discussions. And this has been. Going on a while now, right? But it's still not getting any easier. Let's talk about that, Joe.
1: I remember being little and my mother taking me out different places, and I had to go to the restroom and she had to bring me into the ladies' room, and I was a boy. And you know what? Not a single person batted their eye looked funny because a mother was taking care of their child because basically the kid just had to use the restroom, right? I don't really think it's any different. There are people out there who are going to say, hey, well, I don't want that person, that that guy and the girls and that girl and the guys who are molesting my child or whatever. If someone is a child molester, they're going to molest a child no matter what. They don't need to run to a restroom dressed as the opposite sex to do it, right? I believe that people who are identifying as trans, okay, I think even in the workplace, we can create a space where there are unisex restrooms so that the labels are gone. I've seen many businesses now that have, you know, a male restroom, a female restroom, and then the family restroom or the, you know, unisex restroom. That is a huge change, okay? I think going back to what we talked about earlier on, Maria, this is an ongoing process. It's not a destination, right? It's about, again, opening up the conversation, explaining to people this is not about molestation. This is not about someone just dressing like the opposite sex. There's a lot more to it than that. And being able to give people resources so they can understand what the difference actually is.
0: It is. But you're saying it takes time and people need to evolve there. The evolution is happening now.
1: Right, right. It
0: needs to happen now. How do you How do we get that to evolve? Darn,
1: I wish I had the answers to all of that. And this is where, and Ria, this is where I would say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but let's seek the answers together. This is a, a, exactly a good example of when that works. What you're all doing here by having podcasts and opening up these conversations is admitting that we don't all have all the answers. Together, we're going to seek out the answers. That's why you have guest speakers in the first place, right? Because not any one of us has all the pieces to the puzzle, which I think is really kind of exciting as yeah. well as kind of frustrating sometimes, right? So
2: so would it be fair to say that you were saying telling somebody to suck it up is not the solution?
1: Your niece had every right to tell you to suck it up, Michelle, because I would have said the same thing.
2: No, I mean, it's just so like... <laughs> With Maria, with your question, you, I actually am very much on the same place that Joe is. It is my hope that restrooms are designed in a way to give me some element of privacy, regardless. Of the person, the the sex of the person in the stall next to me, right? I want some element of privacy. Right. Whether there's a female next <laughs> to right. me or a male next to as me, okay. Ma-
1: as a man in the male restroom, I want to be safe as a male in the male restroom, right? No matter who's coming in there. So you as know? long
2: as you've built your restrooms around the the idea
0: of some sort of safety and, and privacy. privacy. <laughs> I don't know, like, just stop already. I don't think that works as, I mean, I think, and when you take a look at most female restrooms within the United States, they have closed stalls. When you take a look at a male restroom, they have urinals. And so when, let's say I decide as a female with female genitalia that I want to go into the male restrooms where there is open urinals, is that going to be, you know, kind of a, a violation of privacy for someone they're using it? First of all, there better be a stall because, as a
2: female, <laughs> that's gonna be a mess. Female parts, I can tell you that's not going to work effectively. It's gonna, get,
1: it'll work just not effectively, it's, yeah, right?
2: It's just not gonna be effective. So, this from an HR perspective. Depending, not even depending from an HR perspective, it's time time to start having the conversation, reasonable accommodation, uh-huh. right? It, maybe it's time that urinals go away.
1: Well, I mean, the American Disabilities Act of '99, your ADA, changed the playing field on making stalls handy. You had to have stalls that had one handicap accessible, one for a wheelchair walker. You had to lower shelves and, you know, rolling racks in different clothing stores, had to widen aisles to a degree whenever possible to accommodate people who have different challenges. Why can't there be, I don't know, an American Gender Act of 20? 20 water 2022 right where we begin to start to modify the restrooms or modify different things to help people of different genders and right. orientations right so that's what I mean when I talk about evolution Maria it would be so great if in you know a twenty minute podcast we could like solve. Everything, right? I think it's just so valuable. If one person listening to one of your listeners listens to this conversation and brings that to the workplace or brings that to a manager or to a team member or an employee that they've not known how to address or talk to before, well then we've already been part of the solution, not part of the problem.
2: I think you also Maria, you have to look at because you're saying it's happening now and we've we've worked in a multi-site facility, where this was happening and it was happening in a culture or a place where we knew that the other employees were even, even though the restrooms were set up to be effective unisex, we knew that the other employees were going to struggle with this concept. So it really isn't just fix your restrooms so that they're safe and secure. There's got to be some sort of conversation because the very first time we, um, at this particular location, it was someone who identified as a female, and we knew the minute that she was in the women's restroom that the other women were likely to say something. Here's the thing. Marie and I, we love that the government put some regulations around what is 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 and is not acceptable because it helps to level the playing field. So we actually do appreciate that. And here's one of those places where I'm going to level the playing field. It is your responsibility as an employer to keep all your employees safe. And that means you're going to have to start having conversations with people um, that are going to be super uncomfortable and you're not going to know how to have them. And I would advise you to seek out someone. Who is comfortable leading those conversations in uncomfortable places?
1: Right, because you've also got those employees. Who need to be talked off the ledge right the people who don't know what they don't know so if you're going to be fair and equitable to your entire organization we're not just worried about that person who's transgendered that person who's quote unquote different we've also got to focus on the people who consider themselves part of the norm that don't know any better and figure out how to address their concerns and issues too we can't let them be but you also
2: can't have the women attacking The The one person who walks in, right? right. And
1: that's what I mean. It's part about education and having that open door policy. Mm -hmm. But I really believe it sticks to the fact that labels of a jar is not for people. You know, the classifications matter on a form or on a spreadsheet or in an HR site, right? Where we track payroll and all sorts of things. But you know what? Labels of a jar is not for people. But understanding what people self-identify as, and being able to validate and recognize them who they are as they are, I think that that will go a long way.
0: Yeah. What's interesting though, and and I want to ask you, Joe, what do you think the definition is of diversity, equity, and inclusion in regards to how it's applied?
1: You know what? How it's applied, how many organizations and schools, universities are there? I think it's hard to talk about how it is applied in every single place, Even looking at a pandemic, everyone has handled it differently.
0: But is it just diversity of sex?
1: Right. I think diversity is just diversity. We are all different, right? If I'm facilitating a a live session somewhere or I'm teaching, I don't know, in Zoom or something like that, right, and I have 40 people or 50 people present, I recognize they're all different. They're all diverse. I ask where they're from or how long they're with the organization or a special skill they have. That already creates the environment of diversity and that that's a really great thing. The inclusion, it's about how we do it. We don't just talk the talk. We walk the walk, no matter what our role is. All right. It's the equity part that's sometimes the hardest for some people. And that's recognizing that equity is not the same thing as equality. All right. Equity means that sometimes you have to treat people a little bit differently to treat them fairly right? Because if I ask, you know, certain animals to climb a tree and one of them is a fish, the fish cannot climb the tree, right? I've already made it not equitable. We have to find ways to make things in the workplace equitable for all. And I think that that is where the rubbers can hit the road. And I think that that's ultimately where change is going to happen.
0: So, are you saying that you know women and minorities should be getting paid more than white men because it's not necessarily equally that we need to get paid? But maybe it's more fair for us to get paid more now since white males have been getting paid the most for many. <laughs>
1: Well, see, some of this almost sounds like retribution. That's I think a conversation we have for a totally different day, right? Because that could be a totally different conversation on what payback and retribution, revenge, and all that kind of storyline looks like. And I am certainly not an expert in any of those topics, right? I'm really an optimist who wants everyone to be paid more and paid better, right? I would like to not give advice. I'd like to suggest that it would be really great if we just treated people fairly with pay, regardless of gender. We pay people fairly based on their experience, what they bring to the table, their tenure, and all the labels and all the identifying marks should not be a part of the equation. Right? We need to pay people fairly. And that's a big part of of equity and inclusion.
0: It's true. You know, what's interesting is when you go to apply for a position, they ask about your in the EEO section, they ask about your gender status. Now they're asking about your sexual preferences and they ask about two other things, your disabilities, as well as your military or veteran experience um, and organizations. But a couple of things that they don't ask about that I feel like is also inclusive of a definition that you just mentioned, Joe, of and i diversity and thought, Right or your age. It's interesting they don't capture age there at all because you know that's one of the things they try to like obviously uh, report on an organization and see you know different age statuses and then Yeah and
1: you you know as well as I do that when you fill out the application put your birth date on well they've already figured out your age right? Or if they've extended an offer to you and you know they've got your social security number they've already figured that out so it doesn't that does not necessarily have to be another question I mean And I'm quickly heading toward 50 years old. I can't self-identify as 30 because I know at some point the organization will say, no, 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 your label happens to be 50, right? That's one place where it is what it is, right? And the the data, the numbers don't lie. I don't think you can capture every single thing about a person on one piece of paper, Mm -hmm. right? I think you can capture a bunch of information that will help your organization to, you know, propel forward. I think that you can ask questions that are fair, equitable, and legal to do is what C.S. Lewis would say, go further up and further in. But I think a lot of it has to be done person to person, one at a time, getting to learn people because we're not robots. So um, I don't know if one form can do everything.
0: It's true. Well, any advice, Joe, for our listeners here before we wrap up in regards to how they can take their discussions with their peers inside, out of work, whatever the case may be, right? How we continue this dialogue and continue momentum and, as you say, evolution forward.
1: First one, be open, okay? Be open to the fact that you don't have all the answers. Be open to the fact that I don't have all the answers, but together we can seek the answers that is a big big starting point and i think the one that really resonates with me is that when you look at human anatomy most of us were designed the way we are for a reason with two ears and one mouth because we should all be spending twice as much time listening and half as much time talking because i think that would make the world turn a lot better and i think the last part maria and michelle and, and i'm really glad you joined me you know let me join today is just understanding that we need to start to see people and recognize people for not what they are, but who they are. That will be the game changer.
0: And I'm going to leave it at that. Mic drop. Thanks, Joe, for joining. And we'll talk to you soon.
1: Well, what what a treat. Thank you so much.
0: Bye-bye.